Hello, thanks for stopping by Liberty Sessions, where we unpack one woman's entrepreneurial journey to help another woman launch her own. I'm your host, Netta Jones. Please join me as we start liberating dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello there, Liberty listeners. Here we are again, and this time we get to listen to founder of Aura Collective, Sarah Contrucci-Smith, and I love that I just said her name right. Um, Hey, Sarah, it's good to be talking to you today. Hey, Netta. How are you? (laughs) Great. Great to talk to you. It's always a good time. (laughs) I know. We do. We have fun together. So why don't you, for all of those um, unlucky listeners who don't know about our collective yet, why don't you enlighten us a little bit about your company and what you're up to? Sure. Um, Our collective, we are an online retailer. Um, We do have a few boutiques that we're in, but primarily we are online and it is home goods, high-end handcrafted goods. Um, we collaborate with artisans that are doing their traditional designs um, with their age-old weaving techniques, and we work with them to pretty much update them kind of for a more modern style, um, kind of the everyday home um, in the West. Um, we are all fair trade. We pay above fair wages, and we profit share. So in addition to the artisans being paid in full, um, we share 10% of all of our profits from the sales. And we invest that specifically in initiatives for education and healthcare for the artisans and their children. Um, and that's something that they, they get to pick what they want to invest in in that way. I love that. Um, it's fun to talk to you about what you do in terms of the social impact of your business because it's so well-informed. You have spent, which you'll tell us about, but you've spent quite a bit of time uh, working in developing countries, living in developing countries, and have, I think, understood what the good-hearted but sometimes um, naive Westerner has tried to do by going into these countries and and the systems that um, they have interrupted or culturally not been sensitive to. And so it's it's always great to talk to you and to hear about those things because you're you're so careful. You've been so careful. And again, I know this having spent hours and hours talking to you about it. But um, so tell us a little bit about what you did before you launched our collective so we understand where all those sensitivities come from and how you learned um, from your experience, what to be sensitive to? Yeah, well, I grew up in Indonesia. My dad was a bush pilot. Um, so we got assigned to Indonesia through the organization he worked with. And, um, I was there from age six, right before I turned seven, my seventh birthday was in Indonesia. And we came back when I was 15. I was dragged back, did not feel like I was very much of an American at that point. Um, just really used to kind of this um, international community, I suppose. Um, and we moved back to Southern California where I got into business marketing, which didn't seem to make much sense then, but of course does now. Um, and after working in business for a little while, um, I started to turn my sights towards international work again um, and just really trying to figure out how do I kind of blend these 
two worlds that I've grown up in. Um, and so I got my master's in international development. Um, that program took me to Uganda where I lived and worked for three years in production, design, um, community development, um, kind of a lot of little things that had to do with um, socially good companies um, that were producing things in Uganda and then sending them over to the U.S. Um, and so then we moved back to the States in 2014. Um, and that is when I started our collective. And so given, without naming any names, of, I'm not trying to point fingers at organizations, but in general, whether it's an organization you looked or you worked with or uh, ones that you knew of that were operating and doing sort of these social good um, businesses, what, what was the thing that you knew you wanted ARA to be about and what you didn't want it to be about? Yeah, um, good question. It. I've had a lot of good experiences um, and a lot of unfavorable experiences. Um, And even beyond that, I think just being overseas and living in a place for years, especially as a child, um, you know, you really get to observe a lot. Um, What, not just like project-based, but really what are the long-term effects of things? Um, And so when I was starting our collective, um, I personally wanted it to be a for-profit company, not so I could make money off Mm -hmm. of people, but um, so that I could hold myself maybe more accountable to how I was spending the dollars. Um, And um, that's kind of a reason why we have this component of the profit sharing um, with the artisans, because we don't need to keep all that profit for our operations or anything. But um, that was something that I just, I I saw that um, for-profit businesses, especially the ones that have this social good focus, they're spending their dollars really well and they're spending them with wisdom because they can't just go out and get another donor. And not saying that nonprofit organizations are bad at all. It just, it seemed to me like something that was working and something that um, maybe would work for me to keep me on my toes. Um, And then the other thing was um, I started noticing that, that there really weren't a lot of people that were working um, in developing countries and capitalizing on the resources that were already there and like the, the talents that were already there and the natural resources, the infrastructure, the logistics. Um, it, it was a lot of times like people coming in and seeing a need um, and, you know, let's say like people in this village need to make more money. Okay. Well, what can we do? Okay. Well, let's teach them a skill and then we can sell it in the U S and then we can pay them for their work. And it's a great concept, but I started thinking, well, if they already have cotton in their fields, why aren't we using the cotton? Right. You know, um, and if they already know how to do this weaving technique in these designs, they're masters of that. Why don't I use that to bring them better income? And if I tweak things just a little bit, then that will boost their opportunity to sell more. Like I don't need to teach them a new skill. Mm-hmm. I don't need to restructure what they're doing. Um, and so it's kind of just working in communities in a slightly different way, um, which I have found to be really fun and frankly, a lot easier sure. than um, doing some other things. And there are definitely, that being said, there are definitely areas that need something new. 
like yeah. there, there, there are not those resources. There are not those skills. There's very hard hit areas um, that need that. Um, what I'm doing works in certain locations um, and given my skill set as well. And I've seen you put exactly what you just said into practice, which is, I mean, we did a trip uh, this last well, last summer, a year ago, to Swaziland and Mozambique through uh, Project Rage. And I have uh, very clear memories of you in certain uh, weaving co-ops where you would say, okay, show me the weaves that you do that are specific to this country. I Anybody can do X, Y, Z. I want to see what you can do. Show me the dyes that you guys are using that are unique to, you know, whatever indigos or whatever that are coming from Swazi or I think we were in Mo's when we were talking about indigo, but um, that for you, it was two parts and correct me if I'm wrong. It was, let me introduce my consumer, my customer to what the artisan has to offer from a kind of cultural point of view, but also let me in fact keep that rich culture intact um, and help yeah. support something that keeps that particular art alive. Uh, and I loved watching you do that. And you were so focused and kind of adamant about like, no, 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 <laughs> I need, I want to see this. Take me to somebody who can do this. Um, yeah. Which was it for you? Which, I mean, was it, I want to introduce my customer to this or I'm really drawn to keeping this art form intact for their own culture? Um, I think first and foremost, it is the, the heritage preservation component. Um, where I grew up in Indonesia is a really remote area of New Guinea. And growing up, there were all of these handcrafted goods around me that you know, they were already using them and then they found, oh, some, you know, some like white people that are visiting also like to buy them like we can sell mm -hmm. them. Um, and that was just a really cool opportunity for them to do something that they were really good at with their natural resources and to make an extra dollar off of. Um, and those things are nowhere to be found anymore. Like I went back to Indonesia last um, summer and I really struggled to find one thing. And wow. that was just in, in such a years. short time. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And I mean, that, that is like, I can't even explain how shocking that is to me and how sad because, um, like that, that's not even my culture. That's a culture I grew up in, yeah. you know, like that, like I have some ties to it, but I think it's really important for everywhere to keep something, um, that's old and, you know, passed down from generation to generation. Um, I think it's important for the um, like sense of community and strength in an area. And then I think especially with people that are living in these cycles of poverty, you in that process, there's a lot of your identity that gets stripped away. I was just thinking the of the dignity of like, piece of it. Yeah. Yeah. And like the sense of belonging um, you know, you're kind of ostracized out of community um, when when you're poor. And it, I think it tends to feel like you have nothing good to offer yeah. um, and you have no voice and you're just kind of eking by. Um, but when you're you're creating something that is centuries old, um, there's a sense of belonging and value. And then when you can um, provide for your family based on continuing that tradition, 
I think that's just like pride on a whole new level. Um, and poverty strips that stuff away. And so to me, having that, um, kind of the heritage component to every single product that we make, even if it's an updated color palette to still have like the traditional weaving techniques and designs in there. I think that's a, that's pride. And it's also hopefully showing the next generation um, in those communities that this is a value and you should learn it too and you should continue it too. Yeah, I love that. And you've done a really good job. And this is, I think, where your kind of magic comes in as an entrepreneur. You've figured out a way to marry that with something that a consuming audience wants. So it's not just, oh, look at this very tribal or ethnic thing that I got from Africa and I want one so it looks like I was there too, but actually I just went to Pier 1. You've been able to <laughs> to bring things together. Sorry to Pier 1. Um, they will never be a sponsor now. I just ruined that. So, But you've been able to bring things together in a way that elevates that art form and invites it into a very modern or contemporary setting. And and makes those of us who weren't with you on that trip own a piece of that culture or have even, um, there's, a, there's even a sense of pride in that, in like, oh, we have, we have a piece of this history, of, of this nation, of this country, of this people. Um, and sure, we're giving back to, but maybe that wasn't the, the motivating factor for somebody that looked at it from a, this is beautiful and would go well in my living room. And I, again, I think that's where yeah. your magic is as a brand. You've been able to marry those two things in a way that feels um, organic and not forced. Um, I think you look at your brand, I look at your brand and I say, it's equal parts exactly what you just said. It is equal parts, well-designed products for a high-end, well-curated home and um, pieces that um, are created to give these people a dignified way of making a living and preserving their own art and their own heritage. And I appreciate that so much about you, which leads me to this next Thank question. You. Um, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> did you know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Like you talked about your history, uh, growing up in various countries and then coming back and your degree and how that sort of informed, um, what you're doing now. But was that intentional? Like I want to work for myself or was it the social impact piece that whether I work for myself or somebody else, I just want to make sure I'm doing something that is, you know, helping others and elevating others, um, more importantly in this case, or more specifically others in developing countries? Um, no, I never thought I would start my own business. I still can't believe I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here um, to tell you, you are. <laughs> you can pinch yourself. Yeah. yeah. You know, I would have, I mean, sure. I, there was things I wanted to do on my own, but not like start my own business. I actually used to think, why do people keep starting new businesses? There should be more collaboration in the yeah. world. And, you know, and, um, but really what started happening is I really wanted to design things that I loved. You know, it's a really interesting thing about designing for other companies is that, you know, it's your style, but it's also a lot of what some other people are telling you they want to see, yeah. you know? And, um, and I think I just had these ideas that I really wanted to try out. And then, um, I travel a lot anyways, and I was already going into these marketplaces and talking to the sellers and just like 
falling over them as I'm like seeing them work and how they're dying these threads and their families they work with and their friends and oh just the whole thing I was just so enamored by it and I just I just wanted to create with them Mm -hmm. and I had a lot of opinions about like social socially conscious businesses and I felt like I I'm I'm Italian. And so I kind of tend to butt heads with people, um, (laughs) for better, for worse. Um, and you know, it was just like, I think I have an idea of how I would like to model a business and I think it can work. And I had thought about that for a while. And I think a lot of my friends and family and especially my husband was like, stop talking about it, do it. And so I did. And it was really scary. And I still honestly do not know what's going on half of the time. I feel like. Welcome Um, to entrepreneurship. (laughs) That's just the way it is. (laughs) Yeah. But then it's also like, I'm, I'm getting to do things I love and I'm getting to do a lot of things I don't love also, which is the part of entrepreneurship that no one ever wants to talk about. Um, but I get to do those things so I can do the other things um, that I really love. And that that's how I kind of fell into being an entrepreneur. Well, no, I mean, I convinced you to go on this Project Rage trip. And I know that <laughs> one of the things about, although you're, I haven't experienced, I've watched you being stubborn, but I haven't experienced it firsthand. Um, and I actually think it's more, I wouldn't call it stubborn. I would call it, um, you can blame it on your Italian roots all you want, but I actually (laughs) think it's that you're very uh, focused and single-minded in terms of this is what I want. This is going to produce results both for the artisan and for the business. And I want to fight for this. I want to fight for this quality. I want to fight for what this means. And I, I find it, uh, really compelling. And, um, so I, I, I'm going to back you up and just say, keep that up. But where was I going with that? There was something that I was going to say specifically. Oh, just about one of the things that even with that, you are very open. And when I called you and said, Hey, let's go on this trip. I'm helping to organize this. Why won't you join us? Even with all of your questions and you're like, okay, is this the right timing? And what, what will come of this? And how does it fit into what I'm doing with Ara for this next season? You were very open. And I think that's probably something that's going to keep you nimble and able to pivot as an entrepreneur is while I'm focused and while I'm driven toward a Mm. particular goal, I have the ability to think about what's possible and learn or or have learned how to jump on what is an opportunity versus just saying yes to whatever. Uh, so it's a, it's a good muscle to, to develop, um, as an entrepreneur. So I, I commend you on that. Um, Let's talk a little bit about um, kind of the, the, the vendors and the partners that you're developing these relationships with in these remote countries and how, how easy or hard is it to actually connect with them? I mean, whether it's things like the internet or phone or um, uh, sorry, we had a monsoon and so we're out for two weeks. Like what are the things that you have to deal with in, in having these partners and the more remote, the more unique your product, your end product is, but the more difficult it is just yeah. to do business. How have you dealt Absolutely. with that? Yeah. Well, um, it is an interesting 
thing because, you know, I wanted to, as much as possible, work with artisans that didn't already have access to the global marketplace. Um, and so what I want to do when I go to places, um, and usually, you know, it's like my husband and I, we want to go to Guatemala for a week. And so we go and I end up, you know, he's taking a nap and I'm out wandering in the, the markets and I like come back with all these amazing textiles that I'm obsessed with. And um, poor guy is such a good sport about it. But um, it's like through those experiences that I meet a lot of the groups that I work with. Um, and so it's very organic, which means, yeah, like doing you know, communication and business with them, um, kind of is a hodgepodge of whatever we end up figuring out. And honestly, there are a few groups that I have done stuff with and then cannot get a hold of them again to make a reorder. And that's Mm. really hard. Um, you know, it's just, maybe they don't have access to email anymore or something, you know, and it's, I need to plan a trip at some point to go back down there or something, but in general, um, the way we communicate is email, um, Facebook, oddly enough, a lot of the artisans I work with, at least one person in the group has Facebook. Um, so I will do orders through Facebook instant messenger. Um, and it's, you know, they have a great like translator, um, part of that app also. So we use that. Um, and, um, I, I also do try to go back to um, the countries I'm working in as much as possible. Sometimes that's every quarter. Sometimes that's once a year. Um, I mean, that's the part that I really love. So as much as I can get back, I do. It's just, you know, hard um, to be traveling all the time. Um, And yeah, I I mean, everything that you could think of that would come up to go wrong does. Like you you joked about monsoon Mm -hmm. thing, but I mean, that is like in Guatemala – on our first year working there, we had an order that was, you know, two months late and the artisans were so apologetic. They're like, it is the rainy season. We naturally dye our threads. They have to dry, air dry. It's wet all the time. You know, it's not like they have industrial fans. They're not working out of a warehouse. They're working in their backyards in their homes. Sure. And it's so wet that they weren't able to get the threads as dry as they needed to be to weave them as quickly as we were expecting them to. And so now I know there are different seasons where production times are going to be different. Um, and you know, we just have to, um, take that into account. It's challenging. And, um, I was honestly really worried at the beginning of our collective that I would lose a lot of potential, um, customers and like wholesale accounts for that reason. And maybe I haven't, don't know about it, but as far as I know, um, because that's part of the, the process and part of what makes this product so unique and so authentic, um, people have been really understanding about it, um, which is great. You know, it's, it's the whole slow fashion movement, um, which I just kind of lump home goods into. Um, and I'm really glad to see that in, in the customer that that's okay now. No, that's nice. I mean, it's nice for you to be able to build that in and say, look, part of our ability to do this and to bring these wares to you, these goods to you, is to take into consideration where they're coming from and the 
kind of how fragile that that scaffolded manufacturing run is um, or can mm -hmm. be. And so will you, customer ABC, have grace for this? And I, they do because part of what they want to do is probably support what you're doing and the work you're doing. And how is a pretty hardcore person that says, no, I want my money back. <laughs> Forget about that family in Guatemala and their stupid monsoon. <laughs> um, you don't want those people anyway. So, so what are the things that have been just very practically speaking, the most difficult things to deal with in terms of the manufacturing overseas? Um, and again, these are handcrafted when we say manufacturing, it's not a large manufacturing plant and you're talking in talking about developing countries. So you mentioned the seasons and, you know, rainy season or otherwise. Mm -hmm. You mentioned phones or internet. Is there anything else that is like, what about shipping? Like, is there a UPS guy? How does that work? Um, well, there kind of is. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, the, I mean, the world is actually set up in a really amazing way once you start getting into international shipping logistics everyone's connected. I mean, there's definitely DHL, you know, almost sure. everywhere where you can go to their office in some country and they will ship it all the way to the U S for you. Um, but what I have found is you can also use local shipping companies, which usually have better rates. Um, and they are connected to UPS or FedEx or USPS, um, or they can get it on a cargo flight and you can go pick it up at customs at the airport. Um, and so we just use a variety of, um, those shipping options. And honestly, it has not been, I mean, there's always stuff that comes up with that. Um, but it has not been as hard as I was expecting it to be. I was very intimidated by that originally, especially because we work in so many different countries. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, the artisans, on one side, you know, wherever, whatever country they're in, they're, they're just responsible for getting it shipped. And then I'm responsible for receiving it. Um, and kind of splitting that up into two parts has actually worked really well. Um, I would say a challenge though with that is, um, just all the different regulations. Um, and, every country has different regulations of things going out and things going in. Um, and then even every product. So even within a textile, a pillow has a different requirements like for labels than a bag, oh, which is so strange, even if they're made of the same thing and they both have zippers and hundred percent cotton. Is that based um, on, because one is touching your face, potentially are body parts and that's what it's used for as a pillow versus a purse is, is not? I have, no, I have huh. no idea. Like, you know, it can be, I don't know. It's just whatever they tell yeah. me to do. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, it can be that, like, yeah. yeah, it can be like, this one needs to say that it's made in Guatemala. This one doesn't need to say that, huh. you know, just very strange little things. And, um, you know, unfortunately I think a lot of times you kind of find things out the hard way. Um, once they're stuck in customs and you're, calling for a month to figure out what happened to your package. And then finally someone gives you the answer and then you have to go fix it. Um, so, you know, staying on a timeline is definitely challenging. I think my experience in the past of living overseas and then also working overseas in production, um, having an understanding that that will happen. Yeah. And it's probably something that is, you think is ridiculous and you can either get mad about it 
or you can just go to work yeah. um, and just figure it out and remember it for next time um, and just get it out and get it into your hands finally, whatever it takes. Um, and, you know, I think just kind of having that openness is really key to this type of business because Absolutely. it's always going to be something. And I think that's why a lot of people don't do it because it'd be easier to give up and just work with the manufacturer in China. They know what they're doing. They always deliver on time. Um, so, you know, you have to work harder on this end for sure. Um, with that stuff and stay more organized and stay ahead of schedule. And, and um, I was, yeah. And build in time. You have to build in time knowing that that's one of the resources that lacks. Um, and so how do you accommodate for it? Okay. Well, if I had 30 bags come and these 30 bags are supposed to, let's say 30 pillows in your case, and these 30 pillows are supposed to last me one month, but I've got, I potentially have things stuck in customs. Well, I need to know that in my sales cycle, I'm not going to do any promotional, like put these on any promotion or discount them. Because unless I have the next batch, this may need to last me a whole quarter. So it's like you have to accommodate for things and build in things that you wouldn't normally if you were looking at a traditional four season sales cycle. And then on the flip side, I think you also have to, like you said, you build in this patience for the system. I have yet to be in a developing country where there isn't some sort of saying about, well, you know, happens in Africa or, well, (laughs) I was um, for a very, very short time doing a little work. I'm from Egypt, but I was doing a little work for somebody um, in Egypt and there's a, there's a saying there that it's, it's IBM and it's inshallah, which means God willing, it will arrive. Mm. Um, Bukra, which means tomorrow. And then what is it? A, B, uh, IBM, um, M, O, Malish, which means like, don't worry about it. So the idea was like anybody you did business with was probably going to say with you, when will it arrive? Um, Bukra, you know, inshallah, (laughs) like God willing, that's what's going to happen. And then if it didn't go well and you're like, wait a minute, you told me that was going to be here in a month and it's, it's, it's not, it's been two months. They're like, yeah, yeah, Malish. Like it's no, it's no problem. Don't worry (laughs) about it. So you, you have to build those things in. You have to know that that's part of the culture uh, of your business because that's part of the culture that you're interacting with. And, and like you said, and that's why it's not, it's there, the barriers of entry are high and a lot, not a lot of people want to get into this sort of business. I mean, they have a heart for it and it sounds great. And it sounds exotic. And, um, and then you start doing it and you're like, Oh, this is a nightmare. Um, so you yeah. have to sort of have the constitution both as a person, but also your business has to be able to withstand that. Um, yeah. And you know, that something that I always say to myself and other people is that, um, you know, developing countries, are developing countries for a reason. Um, there are things that are not working and it's not that people aren't working hard in that country. There's just other things like either culturally or logistically or, you know, whatever. And, you know, if this is what I want to do, I have to accept those things. I have to roll with the punches. No, I don't think it's great. No, I don't enjoy it. But, um, this is the heart of our collective is working in these countries with people that normally do not have global marketplace access. And so, you know, if I give up, then they don't have it again. Yeah. Um, and if I can do it, if I can be tough enough, yeah. Then like there's one little opportunity, like I I can, I can be tougher than this ridiculous maddening situation. Um, that because my expectations are different because I come from a very well functioning 
um, country that's probably too obsessed with systems. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's a bit of like, you know, you got to have some grit, um, and commitment to that. Well, we're glad that you do. And we're glad that as a result of that grit, that our collectives exist, um, for us to be able to have these beautiful things, but also, uh, and more importantly for all of the artisans that are benefiting from the work you're doing. So stay with it, Miss Sarah. Contrucci Smith. Um, We love it. So I'm going to transition us a little bit here into the part of the interview where we're asking for your advice and wisdom and tools and tips that you've picked up along the way. Um, One of the things that I think our listeners are going to glean from this is, oh my gosh, I want to travel and shop and do good in the world. Uh, That business sounds dreamy. Can you kind of give us a more accurate light on the a day in the life. So you've given us like, here are the problems that exist, you know, with shipping and monsoon rains and all of that. But give us a day to day. Like I want somebody who's listening to this to say, okay, I can do that. That's the business for me or, you know, mm-hmm. hell no. And I, I'm going to start something else. Can you just give us a <laughs> sense of what, and I, my, assume, my assumption is every day is a little bit different. So maybe go through what a week might look like. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely someone who, um, I don't work nine to five. Um, that's a very nice idea, but it's either way shorter or way longer. Um, lately it's been a lot shorter since I have a three month old baby boy who just learned how to roll over. So he's rolling all over the living room all the time. Uh, it's like a completely different work situation right now. Um, but you know, I, I think, um, my, my week's tend to have some ebb and flow in them. Um, There's a lot of administrative and operational tasks that I take care of. Um, For example, the other day we had to figure out if we needed a certain um, permit from the USDA for um, this palm leaf that we use Mm -hmm. in our Mozambican products. Um, And so you know, we kind of went down the rabbit hole with that. Uh, my assistant and I worked on it called a lot of people. Um, and that took a really long time. There's other days where, um, you know, I'm getting to do fun stuff like this and talk to people and talk about our collective. There's days where we're doing photo shoots. There's the day before the photo shoot where I'm spending six hours planning out everything that's going to go into that photo shoot, what shots I need, um, just I don't know, there's days where I'm designing, there's days where I'm traveling, and then there's days where we are, you know, trying to just push our products and figure out what's our best editorial schedule that we can do. And so um, I think I don't have a very good answer to this question. No, I think that um, is the answer, that, that you can expect a lot. I mean, I think you can expect yeah. as an entrepreneur anyway, just wearing lots of different hats. But I wanted to tie in the the pieces that for you are connected to the social impact work, connected to doing work overseas, connected to the travel schedule. And again, it is it does sound dreamy, but I think you're painting a more accurate picture where, yeah, maybe the dreamy part is like 30% of my time, <laughs> but th- there's 70% that's, you know, talking about the palm leaf from Mozambique that I have to get approved. I don't even know what you'd have to do to do that or how you even found out there was a problem, but that's the kind of work that's, and that's the important work that's going to allow you to sell product to 
bigger vendors and to not run into lawsuit issues. And it's all very important work. It all is, you know, it all has to work together in tandem. Um, yeah. Is there a kind of, what's, let me ask it this way. What's the, your most favorite thing of your job? Is it the travel? Um, yes. And not just traveling. It is the, the hands-on part of it. It yeah. is wandering in those marketplaces um, going from shop to a little shop with everything looking the same and then starting to notice, you know, this, this artisan does different colors, colors I've never seen, or just these little finishing touches that are really well done. And then talking to that person and then asking, you know, who do you, who do you work with to sell all these things and then getting to meet that group and then seeing how they dye their threads using something that looks like, a, you know, some sticks and some flowers put together and then bam, you have this gorgeous color and then they're weaving it and then they're, they're selling it right there where they're like children who are learning, you know, they're yeah. these age old techniques and just that sort of being in it. Um, and kind of going down that rabbit hole and discovering that stuff. Um, I just love it. Yeah. I, I like, can never get enough of you can it. tell because you come I mean not that you are not um, being lively throughout this whole interview but you definitely <laughs> like come to life when you talk about it and it's it's um it's contagious uh it's like okay I want to go with Sarah when is she going <laughs> on her next trip I want to see this I want to experience this what's the thing you hate what are you just like well I don't want to do that costing worksheets okay I don't even yeah <laughs> <laughs> just the whole financial breakdown. Yeah. And then at the end of it, realizing this product costs too much. I don't think we can yeah. order more of it um, for, you know, just with the price points we have and where the marketplace is right now. And um, that is the worst. Um, it's tedious. And then, you know, sometimes it's, a lot of times it's great. I mean, we have a great collection. It's far too big. I have far too many things that I love and that are working um, and that are on our website. But there's uh, things that we haven't been able to do. And, uh, you know, I, I probably should be doing the costing worksheets right from the beginning. But I don't because I'm really excited about these things. <laughs> and, um, and so then when I sit down to do it before a collection launches or before I make, you know, a larger order... Um, yeah, sometimes a bummer. Well, and sometimes you do those things because they're promotional. You buy yeah. a smaller run because they are interesting and they um, they offer opportunities for the, the consumer to come see what you're doing that's different and new and, and interesting. Uh, but your your main line, your non, you know, your non, uh, I'm sorry, uh, kind of cash cow pieces are more mainstream and you do need to do the costing worksheets on those and understand what's going to sustain the company and the people that you're, you know, you're employing, uh, long-term. Yeah. So they, they, they serve a good purpose. Um, okay. So now, you know, again, there are people who are going to listen to this and say, this is dreamy. I want to do it. What would you say to those people who want to pursue a similar venture to yours? Let's just say, doesn't have to be housewares, but just buying goods from, you know, developing countries, working with developing mm -hmm. countries and selling those things stateside. What are some tips that you would have for them um, to do or to not do? Yeah, great question. Um, well, like 
we talked about earlier, you know, just having a good understanding is it's, there's a reason why these countries are still developing. There's a reason why there's poverty in this area. Yes, there might be a cycle, um, but it's also because a lot of things aren't working. Um, and if you want to be in that and hopefully, you know, helping alleviate that a little bit um, and improve some systems, um, you're going to come up against all the things that aren't working. And that's really hard. You have to be really committed and um, not just doing it because it's cool. You know, mm -hmm. there needs to really be something that um, you can hold on to. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. a community, honestly, that can keep you going when that is um, – you're in the thick of that. Um, so kind of, you know, just having that mindset, it's not like a really fun thing to hear, but, um, you know, there's different ways that you can look at that. Like if it's a challenge, like, okay, no, this is not going to, this is not going to keep me down. Like I'm going to get back up. You know, that's kind of what I try to think about. Um, and it kind of, um, piggybacking off of that, something, especially like growing up overseas, um, that I wish maybe, expats thought about more when wanting to get into new communities that are not their own is just remembering that, um, they have a culture that is very precious. And just because some things aren't working doesn't mean there isn't a lot of value in other ways. Mm -hmm. And to like, learn, how do you work? What are the resources you already have? What is working? What isn't working? Okay. I can just, maybe I can help just a little bit in the thing that isn't working. Um, I think that perspective is important and um, remembering throughout all of that, that if you, if you're going to work with people that are really just um, kind of stuck in the cycle of being marginalized and not having a voice um, and things really just not working out for them, um, you have to be very careful about how you're working in those situations. Vulnerable people, they're still vulnerable, um, you know, and, um, I think showing them dignity, for example, the way you talk about people you work with, um, the photos you take of them, the way you use those photos. Um, what's an really example of that, that Sarah? Like what's, so what's, I mean, I, I think I can sort of make some assumptions, but I'd love to hear from you. Like, so what's a photo you shouldn't take and put up on Instagram or, or on your website versus a photo that you think this is it, this is honoring them? Um, okay. For example, if you were at the park with your friend mm -hmm. and her baby was having a meltdown and she mm -hmm. was having a meltdown because <laughs> of it, you probably wouldn't be taking a picture and then posting it on Instagram. Right. right. So why would we do that with someone in Mexico? Yeah. Casting them in um, their best light and, you know, celebrating all the things that are great about them and their culture. It's like the 1970s, yeah. 80s, um, like, you know, raise, raise money for a kid, sponsor a kid. And it was always this child with flies all around their head. And it was like the most, it lacked hope in every way. I understood what it was trying to yeah. do. It was trying to compel us. But I thought that's a human being on the other side of that camera. Like it's not yeah. a product. Stop, try, yeah. stop tugging at my heartstrings on, on somebody else's, you know, um, at, at the cost of somebody else's dignity. So it sounds Absolutely. like that's, that's what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. That's and helpful. you know what? I, it's, it's really hard to figure that out. I think sometimes I'm 
I maybe swing too much the other way. Like, oh, well, I don't want to just, I don't want to promote someone's story too much um, Mm -hmm. because I don't know if I'm going to do that right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just don't do it at all. And then it's like, well, there are, you know, these are people behind my products. Like I should be telling their story, but you know, it's just something you have to grapple with, I think all the time. And that's a, it's something that we all need to take very seriously, just the same way we would with our own relatives, our own friends. We need to be doing that with people we're working with if you're in this sort of um, business. And, um, you know, I think it's great that storytelling is so powerful, um, but it comes with a lot of responsibility sure. as well. It's I, it's almost like you could just uh, attach a, a make-believe publicist um, for these people and say, what would their publicist want me to promote? Yeah. What puts them in the <laughs> best light? What, what honors who they are as an individual as well as their culture? And also doesn't take away the situation. Like you almost right. don't want them smiling and celebrating all the time because then you forget you forget what they're having to deal with on a regular basis. So it is a fine line. Mm-hmm. I, I respect that. That's something that you have to walk on a regular basis. Um, but it it's something that if you're doing this for the first time, you might not think of. In fact, is there a resource, whether it's, you know, uh, some sort of international.com, you know, backslash things to be sensitive of? Is there a place for us <laughs> to go? Is there a resource that you've found through the UN or through any initiatives through the UN or something for NGOs that you have found to be helpful? Um, there, I bet you there is something out there. I have not found it. Um, well, you probably leaned on your experience, which most of us don't have that kind of an experience going into this. Well, and I think too, like when you're in an area, you know, really learning that the history of a country, um, and of a culture and talking to people there. And then, you know, even for me, like talking to expats that live there, Mm -hmm. um, and that have lived there for a while, because they have a really good understanding, um, and, and like a way to explain it to you, you know, like, cause sometimes it can be kind of hard to, let's say like if I'm in Guatemala, it can sometimes be hard to figure out what's really going on. Um, either, you know, why isn't this working or what is the history of this culture? Um, because maybe they're trying to gauge what you want to hear, um, or they don't want to talk to you, you know, it can go like either way. Um, so I think the biggest thing is really being in the country and where you're working as much as you can be. And I know that is not something that everyone can do, but there are a lot of people that, um, you know, are, like their job is sourcing. They know these countries. They, they love these countries. They, they know the history behind it. And, you know, meeting up with those people, meeting up with like local missionaries or NGOs or other business people in the area. Um, and then even if you're a geek like me, um, is checking out the CIA world Factbook. Um, it has every single country in the world on that website and it'll tell you, um, you know, what, what is their industries here? What is the poverty rate like? What's the, you know, what are the health issues that are going on? A brief history awesome. of, yeah. about the government, economy, stuff like that. And so 
Um, I personally really like looking at that stuff, but I think that's my little grad school self. No, but (laughs) no, I think that's, that's an awesome recommendation. And it's something that you said much earlier in the interview, just about why do we all have to start businesses independent of one another? There's room for collaborations. And so maybe you don't have access to traveling and finding out all those things. It doesn't mean you can't help whatever's going on in a particular country. I have some friends right now that are in, um, where are they? Um, Rwanda. And, you know, I I don't know anything about Rwanda, but just talking to them stateside and consulting with them about the work that they're doing there from a, here's what, here's what, here are the Mm. needs here. Here's some things that you can think about importing. They're working with oils right now. And so they've sent some things along and I'm getting a thumbs up from Elizabeth Wyndham because she's, that's our famous and fabulous managing producer and she's trying the oils. But so there are ways that <laughs> people can contribute um, and and find ways to affect change in those countries without necessarily being boots on the ground. Um, so yeah, it, it leaves room for that very thing that you brought up. Okay, I'm going to move on to something that's um, – a a big life change for you. So you just had a little baby boy and you mentioned that he's three months old and rolling around. Uh, Now it's only been a few months, so we'll grant you (laughs) congratulations, by the way. Um, (laughs) Thank you. It's only been a few months and, you know, we don't want to pretend that you've got it all figured out in a few months, but I have (laughs) to believe that, I mean, you just talked to yourself about traveling sometimes once a quarter um, to some places like, what does that change for you in terms of um, just developing systems and and changing the way you've thought about doing work? And what, do, what does that in practical kind of ways mean? So that, again, our listener who currently has children, who wants to have children, can think about, okay, well, Sarah's saying there's no way she could do this kind of business without traveling or you actually can, but it's going to mean collaborating with people who are on the ground. Like what, what does Mm -hmm. that mean for somebody who's in that kind of mom space or has something that's taking uh, the lion's share of their, their time that wouldn't allow for that sort of travel schedule? Yeah. Um, I am trying to figure this out right now. Um, (laughs) yeah, I am a very, very organized person. Like, uh, obsessively so, probably borderline, not even like it's just too much. Um, but that is just how I work best. If I can have things organized, that allows me to be flexible somewhere else and to roll with the punches. And so, um, what I have done, um, kind of system wise for the company is really hire a lot of subcontractors. You know, I, um, I have someone who does all the little website development and design stuff. He, he works independent. He's, he doesn't work out of my office. Um, so he's working at his own time and I'm working at my own time. Um, I have a fulfillment manager who comes in, um, to our studio any hours that she wants to. Um, and, you know, she's, she's working with me, but then also kind of independently. Um, and you know, just stuff like that. And then also the way that I had, um, set up really working with the artisans years and years ago at the beginning, um, was that I, I work with co-ops that were already formed. Mm -hmm. So these groups already work together. They already have the leadership in place. They have the, you know, financial manager, 
Um, they know how to do shipping to the U S or, you know, at least how to get it to the right office that's going to ship it to me. Um, and so, you know, in that way, I'm not managing every single artisan we work with. I have one point person with every single group and I talk to them. Um, and you know, they all know that I have a baby. So the time frames are a little bit different now. And, um, so they're, they're managing production on their own. Um, and right now I feel like I'm just more of like the linchpin person, mm-hmm. um, who's kind of just delegating everything out. Um, I don't know if that's how things will always be. Um, I guess we'll find well, out. There's something brilliant in what you're saying in that now you're actually acting like a CEO and, and you're actually working on your business versus in your business. You're putting infrastructure mm. in place where other people are working on the day-to-day. And it's forced. It's forced because of this precious little three-month-old. <laughs> but it's actually giving you a perspective of, okay, now my the work that I need to set aside is work on what's the future, what's going on the next season, what's going on a year from now, doing some of those costing exercises as you forecast <laughs> what 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 the the – kind of sustainability and the health of the company looks like, not shipping things, not working with the hiccup in shipping from the co-op to the dock that it's landed in and is, you know, halfway to you, all of those things. You've got systems in place for that, not working about, not worrying about the web development stuff. You've got Mm -hmm. something or someone in place for that. So in some ways it's, you know, going back to what this what this child has allowed for is I'm working on the pri- the p- things that are priority. And it's actually, I think, forcing you again to really start acting like the founder, CEO, um, that, yeah. and, and, you know, the company's still new and young. So you needed to be working in it and you needed to be working, uh, understanding what the day to day is and getting all those things organized. Um, but I, I think there's, I think there's some kind of like a little magical thing that just happened and he's forcing you to, to, to act in such a way that actually is probably best for the company long-term. Yes, absolutely. And it's giving me the opportunity to really see what are the things that only I can do? Not the things that I think I can only do, mm-hmm. you know, like, Oh, I can do this better than anybody. So I have to keep my hands on it. Mm-hmm. I don't have time for that anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it's if you can remotely figure out how to do this, go for it. You mm-hmm. know, like I don't know, you'd have to ask people that are working for me, but like maybe I'm the most empowering I've ever been because you know, yeah. I don't have time to do anything. I'm yeah. not sure, but um it's really yeah, helping me just simplify and and delegate like you're saying and um yeah, I think I think it's going to allow the company to grow, um, in, in a different way and me to grow in a different way as well. Um, and I, I think it'll be really interesting in a couple of years to see what the company looks like because of this major life change that I've had. Sure. We'll do that podcast. We'll, we'll, we'll call you <laughs> back in two years. I mean, we'll be in touch of course, and then in, in, during that to your window, but we'll, we'll have another podcast. So uh, in terms of staying organized and being efficient, um, have you found any resources or tools to be particularly helpful, similar to the CIA one that you mentioned with respect to your very specific type of business, but anything mm-hmm. that's maybe more general and it can be something as simple as the way I block my days now that I have a baby or whatever, or an app that you find to be helpful? 
Yeah. Um, I am a really big like to-do list person. Um, and so there is this planner. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called day designer. Yes. Um, yes. And, Who's that by? It's, um, uh, Ooh, oh, I'm I, blanking I, on her name right yeah, now. Yeah. I know. Who, yeah. Um, I, she's, she's like blonde. as obsessed with being organized yes. as me. Yes. She did. A and she's like different collection. ones now. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Gosh. Oh, anyway. it's so great. I mean, I have a friend who got the day designer and she's like, Whoa, that was way too intense for me. I returned it and got a more simple one. I'm like, no, this is exactly what I need. I need all the little areas and I live off of it. Like when I leave for a, you know, 4th of July weekend and I leave it at home, I feel like, I don't know if I can do this. I gotta have my planner. So I know, but that's like really helped me block things out. Um, and make sure that the little things and the big things are happening every day. You know, I literally put everything, like I'll be like, call mom on there. So I make sure that I do it. Um, and I think like having that really helps me organize my days. And then I also have a separate notebook it's just kind of a standard moleskin, but I've broken it up. There's a couple days every single month um, that, you know, I'll write on the top, like um, editorial, um, production and design, um, important dates, stuff like that. And so I'm always working um, with that little notebook to also plan out really my year. Um, and then I can kind of break it down into quarters and um, month by month and then certain aspects of the company. I even have like a personal page on there. Um, to make sure that things that I feel like are important for me personally or for my family are happening. Um, and then kind of off of that, I use the day designer and it's Whitney English, it's, by the way, we just, yes, Elizabeth Wyndham shout did her magic. out to Whitney. Yes. She's amazing. Yeah. So we'll put those Girl in the knows show notes. what we need. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So that really helps me. Um, I think, you know, go after like goals, but then also tasks and break it down into, um, doable things. I I do struggle with putting too many things on that list. Um, and that's just kind of something personally I'm working on, but it helps me stay organized and makes me feel, um, again, like because I'm organized now I can be more flexible and roll with the punches. Um, so that has been a really major thing for me in staying organized. Um, the other tool that I've really learned, um, to lean on is this app called Unum, U-N-U-M. Ooh, we don't Um, know that one. And, oh, it's so much fun. So it helps you plan your Instagram feed. So you can like move around pictures. It doesn't have like captions or anything on it, but it shows your feed and then it has like maybe, I don't know, nine boxes above it Uh um, where you can add pictures from your phone into it and kind of move it around. So you can really get like this flow. Um, with, you know, color or subject matter, or, you know, this, these have more people in them. These have less people in them. And, um, I use that to plan out our social media, um, a lot. Um, it makes me feel like even if someone else is doing Instagram for the week, um, they can at least look at that and be like, okay, yeah, that's the picture that we're supposed to be posting next. Or if, you know, I'm doing it that day and be like, oh, I'm supposed to post in the next two minutes. Like, I can't remember what I was going to do. Like, oh, yeah, there it is. Okay. And, and I don't, 
I don't know how my feed looks to everybody else, but I think our collective looks pretty good with it. And it's just, you know, it's one less thing to think about sure. um, on a daily basis. Okay. I love that. Plus we, it's pretty. Ha- we have a new, <laughs> we have a new app that we haven't um, heard from. So, or heard anybody mention. So that's awesome. Okay. Those are good ones, Sarah. I love it. Um, <laughs> did you have another one or was that, was that a wrap on that? The, I mean, those I think are the biggest ones. Okay. Awesome. Right now. I'm not much of a techie person. I don't use all those programs. I get it, you know, I guess my one app, but. Well, whatever's working for you. Yeah. If you can, if yeah. you, if you can get by with just that. And I think the daily organizer piece of it is probably the one that you rely on where some people might rely on that a very similar thing in a, in an app or in a, in software yeah, you're able to do absolutely. on paper, which I'm a fan of paper. Okay. So yeah. <laughs> I'm going to ask you a question about how, everything that you've gone through, um, everything that you've learned, um, in these last few years, if you could go back in time, what's something that you would do differently knowing what you know now so that all those people listen mm. can glean from your wisdom. <laughs> Oh, um, I mean, aside from all the stuff you always hear, yeah. you know, like it's gonna, you're gonna have to work more hours. You're gonna have to do the stuff you don't want to do. So you can do the stuff you do. You know, th- those are absolutely all true for sure. Yeah. Um, I think, I think if I was to sum it up, um, it would be, you know, figure out how to rest, mm. um, so that you don't quit. Um, and just, you know, keeping like the thing that you're excited about is probably going to change. Sure. Um, it is absolutely th- going to change. Yes. Yeah. And that and can you're going to change. Absolutely. And that can feel really scary when yeah. you are the head of a company. And then especially for me when I'm the designer. So like, you know, the stuff I'm excited about, there needs to be some cohesiveness for the company. Um, and for the products. And so, you know, how, how can I make sure that I'm not just going, going, going so that like, as things in my life change, as my design ideas change, um, you know, whatever it is, I need some time where I can rest and reflect so I can figure out how does that kind of blend in, um, to the rest of the sauce I have going on here. Um, I felt very Italian using that. (laughs) analogy right there. <laughs> oh, I love um, yeah, but you know, I think it's just so easy to burn yourself out and, or to be like, Oh, this is just, I'm so sick and tired of this one component. I just want to stop and do like the fun thing again, yeah. but you know, it, it serves no one, including yourself and your family who has given up a lot of, you know, time with you, um, to, if you just quit, um, especially if you're working in, a business that has a social impact. Um, you know, you, you have to figure out ways to keep going. And a lot of that has to do with self-care. Yeah, no, I love that. That's definitely, we're going to use that in our Instagram, a quotable from you, Sarah. So, um, everybody look out for that. Thanks. Thanks for that. I think that's a good word and one that I'm actually taking to heart, even as you say it. Um, okay. So now we're going to just do a quick little, we call it our quick six. It's a fun way for people to get to know you a little bit more. So I'm going to ask you six questions and just off the cuff answer. Don't, you don't need to think about it too much. So I think you, I already know the answer to this because you told us earlier, but do you prefer a nine to five or a flex schedule? Flex. Yeah. And then (laughs) vacationing in the mountains or beach? 
Oh, beach. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good. Hard one though. <laughs> I know it is a hard one. Um, working from a home, from your home or from an office? Home. Uh, work. Oh, was that before baby too? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. I mean, it's home not, office. Yes. You have a separate Not on home my office. couch. Yes. I can't focus very well on yeah, my couch, yeah. but yeah, just, uh, in the home. Yeah. I okay. love it. Okay. Um, and then working alone or with the team? Depends on what I'm working on. Yeah. That's is a, that allowed? It is allowed. <laughs> and I think it's it's an honest one, especially a lot of entrepreneurs go into business and they're solopreneurs for better or worse for the beginning portion. So you start to really kind of enjoy, hopefully, your own company. And, and, and then when you start needing a team, whether it's, um, you know, to, to build your team internally or you're working with lots of contractors or whatever, mm. you, you got to flex that muscle too. So I get it. That's a fair, that's fair. We'll let that go. Um, (laughs) And then the hardest one, next to mountains or beach, I think this is the hardest one, Thai or Mexican food. Oh my goodness. This is so so mean. Um, (laughs) uh, Either one. No, probably. I feel like I should say Thai because I grew up in Asia, but I think I would go Mexican. Well, that's Texas coming through right there. So we no, need- not <laughs> Tex-Mex. Sorry to everyone in Texas. Tex-Mex is the worst. Baja. Baja is my jam. I okay. miss California so much. Baja okay. Mexican is the best. Thanks for making the distinction. I, I happen to agree uh, on the Baja huge. piece. Yeah. Although I'm I feel a, like I'm I get tricked person. when I walk into a Mexican restaurant in Texas. I'm like, wait, this is not Mexican. This is Tex-Mex. You guys should say that yeah. on the outside. Yeah. They don't because they don't They don't know. They think it is Mexican. Right. They've convinced themselves. Yeah. If there's Good Doris, thing I moved here to tell everybody. If there's like <laughs> a, a name brand, like if Nabisco or somebody or who, who, I don't know, any of those big companies is making a product that you're serving, you don't get to call yourself Mexican. Like to, it's not fair. It's not fair to the yeah. rest of us. Um, <laughs> okay. And then this is, this is kind of a little bit more on the important side. So, um, our company is called Liberty, our, um, podcast Liberty sessions. And it's really because our hope is to empower women, um, or to liberate women, excuse me, through entrepreneurship. So for you, what does it mean to be liberated? To get to run my race. Hmm. I think to work out, um, the, the things that I believe, um, about business, about my faith, about humanity, about justice, um, to get to wrestle with that, um, and to like, to do something about it. Um, and I think that's what I feel like when I'm running my race, you know, and and that's when I feel free. It's not, it's not like easy and flowers and butterflies and ice cream. Um, I think free sometimes is free to work, you know? Free to struggle, free to, yeah. to free be comes at a cost. Yeah. 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 But that's like so good. Like that's, it's like the good grit right there, yeah. you know, to, to get to, to do that. Um, and to explore in that way to me is really freeing. I feel really lucky, um, when I get to do things like that. Well, and what I love about your answer is that in you running your race, 
and feeling liberated, um, you're liberating others. And so thanks for all that you're doing, Sarah. We appreciate it. And your example is a shining one. And I'm excited for lots of people to listen to this podcast and be inspired to figure out what their race is and how to run it. You're a rock star. Thanks for hanging with us. Oh, thanks for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. (laughs) All right, Liberty listeners, we'll see you next week. We'll talk to you next week. We'll hear you next week. I don't know. We need a better send off. Bye. Liberty Sessions is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review Liberty Sessions on Apple Podcast. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping you to launch and grow your own ventures. You can also find us every day on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Liberty For Her. And please leave a comment using the hashtag Liberty Sessions. We want to hear your thoughts, suggestions, and brilliant ideas. Liberty Sessions is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Windham and music by Jordan Flower. <laughs>